Hey guys, Dee Williams here, and you are listening to episode number six of the StaffingStartup.tv podcast. Let's get fired up! Welcome to StaffingStartup.tv, the podcast that gives you direct access to the world's leading recruitment, staffing, and startup experts. Dee Williams speaks with amazing thought leaders, venture capitalists, and technology trendsetters about their journey, challenges, and successes related to recruitment, staffing, and hiring. Now, here's your host, Dee Williams. Hey everybody, this is Dee Williams and welcome to the Staffing Startup.tv podcast where we get fired up about recruitment and staffing. That's right, this podcast is all about the ins and outs, ups and downs and all arounds of finding and nurturing and securing exceptional talent for companies all across the globe. And today we are diving right into one of my favorite segments, Startups. Stamina, where we talk to amazing experts about their journey, challenges, and successes related to starting a business in the recruitment and staffing industry. And today's guest is coming to the table, ready to inspire and motivate you with his startup journey, telling, proving, and showing you what it takes to launch and start a business within the recruitment and staffing industry. It is with my humble pleasure that I introduced our special guest today, founder and CEO of JLW Consulting, Jermaine Williamson. Hey, Jermaine. Hello, Dee. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank, first of all, thank you so much for being here. It is Very such a pleasure to have your energy here. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. We're excited about staffing, right? We got to get fired up about staffing. (laughs) I love it. All right. So we're going to just dive in because I want people to know a little bit more about JLW Consulting and you and how you all are supporting the recruitment and staffing industry. Okay. Yeah. So just a quick overview. You know, the company is nearly a year old. And it was founded, you know, basically after, you know, over 20 years of working in the staffing and recruiting industry and understanding that there were several challenges that needed to be addressed. Right. Uh, When you start off, as long as I've been in it, you know, you start off understanding that it was more manual processing back in, you know, mid 90s. Now it's all technology driven. Right. And recruiting, you know, is one of those things that's very cyclical. You know, you're dealing with obviously, you know, humans and you got to understand there's different temperaments, there's different needs, there's different life cycles of education and experience. And the recruiter is kind of that broker for the talent. So understanding that and really, you know, getting to learn the business over that time period, I said, you know what, there's a way that I can take some of this experience and working in different aspects of staffing and recruiting from an individual contributor as a recruiter to an account manager in the staffing industry for many years, and then to operations, and then overall into corporate talent acquisition leadership. So I've seen all the life cycle. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. It's frustrating at times, but it's also very rewarding because you always felt that in recruiting, we do noble work, right? We're always at the point of helping someone get to their next opportunity or, you know, showing up in a time where they may be going through a life challenge and they need to get back on their feet from a financial perspective. And we do all of that. So JLW really took all that experience that I've gained and really put it into a package and say, what can I do to help those particular segments, right? The individual contributor and or the candidate, as well as the companies that just may not understand how dynamic recruiting is. 
And how can I lend that experience that I've gained over these years uh, to help colleagues, friends, and, and also prospects gain an understanding of why we love recruiting and talent acquisition so much? That's awesome. So you're talking about on the client side, like who's your ideal client? Like who do you work with? Yeah, you know, it ranges. You know, I, I you know, don't really differentiate between the startup that needs to have uh, a talent acquisition function embedded into their deliverable or an established organization, be it midsize or a large company that may have a, a robust talent acquisition team, but need more diversity in regards to diversity of thought, diversity of process, and understanding how to attract and retain talent in an organization. Because it's easy to post a job up on the job boards, right, and hope that you get talent to come to it. But you also need a team of individuals that can go out there and source uh, those individuals who have niche skill sets and or who aren't looking for opportunities every day, those passive candidates that want to hear about great opportunities, but necessarily don't want to put their resumes out on the job boards and get calls from 100 different recruiters. So that gives us an opportunity to go in and counsel um, each you know, uh, entity on how to do that. So my clients range. You know, I have clients that are startups that just say, hey, you know, we're part of a bigger team and we need to have a talent acquisition function stood up. And then I have organizations saying, hey, we're just not getting it done. We may not have the right resources on our team right now. So we need someone with your expertise to come in and either train the, the individuals and or help us uh, maximize some efficiencies in our current process or break it all the way down to its inception and start a new process over that works. Wow, that's awesome. That's phenomenal. So I definitely want to dive into, because you mentioned so many things that, you know, get me really amped up over here, right? <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so I'm an IT developer. And my wife is an RN. We'd been thinking about starting a business together for a while, but wasn't really sure what type of business to start. We came across this video on YouTube on how to start a niche staffing business. And we knew that's what we were looking for. It's been roughly six months of placing developers and RNs. And the financial forecast is looking like $1 million in sales. Just in our first year of business. You too can learn how to get started with your business at staffingpreneursacademy.com. That's staffing, P-R-E-N-E-U-R-S, academy.com. How did you get started with this business in particular? Like what brought you to the world of recruitment and staffing as a whole? Yeah. So, you know, out of, right out of college, um, I was interviewed by a staffing firm, Aerotech. You know, you may have heard of a big, pretty big outfit. And one of their recruiters came to uh, Virginia State University to interview, you know, um, graduating seniors. And at that time, I didn't know anything about the staffing industry. When I thought about staffing was, you know, filling in for an admin who was out sick or a receptionist that needed coverage. I didn't understand the technical deliverable that a staffing function can bring. And it was early on in its inception back then. And, um, you know, I really was just like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm give it a try. I need an opportunity. I'm just graduating, didn't have any other prospects. And um, I moved to Richmond and started there. But they sent us to training up in Baltimore for about two weeks. And at that time, I understood what it was about. You know, it was really um, being a consultant to that talent force that, you know, wasn't a lot of them at that time because technologies were still developing. We're talking about in the COBOL age where you talk about big mainframe systems and things of that nature. But they needed people to connect clients who had those servers and those big mainframes, you know, like the healthcare industry to the talent that can perform the technical work. So I started off in that realm, you know, really understanding how to make that connection. And candidly, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the process that it takes 
to, you know, be a consultant to the talent force, but more importantly, a broker to the uh, the client who needed to find that talent. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, back then it was more manual than it was, you know, technology driven because we had to hand deliver resumes, right? Yeah. We had to, you know, cut the top off and put the header on it and, and, uh, and, uh, and photocopy it and then hand deliver it to a customer, which is archaic these days. You send everything by email. Jermaine, for really quickly, really quickly, I just want to chime in because I, I tease people about this all the time. When they talk about having Google and, and you know, it, I'm like, we had the white pages and the yellow pages and the postal mail. And oh, when man. fax came, it That's was like, it. hallelujah. You know what right. I'm saying? <laughs> so you're talking about, I just had to throw that in there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And you're right. It's, it's certainly a different level of convenience these days. And access to information is so quick now that, you know, before we had to read the newspaper to find the jobs that were available in the Sunday Times. Right. And now you can just go to any job board that's out there and you find thousands of opportunities. So it's just different. Um, But, you know, how I got started and it was really loving it from that ground roots, you know, perspective and just understanding how it all worked and just really hone my skills on it. Really, really becoming a professional recruiter. And so when did you come to the the decision that, OK, I'm going to start, you know, JLW, this is going to be my business and this is my career. Now, you and I have a kind of a backstory, right? So right, right. we kind of started our entrepreneurial journey sort of at the same time. I talk about sure. it all the time. Right. Um, right. So at what point I kind of know, but tell the listeners, like, at what point did you decide, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to work for an aerotech or someone else, but this is actually going to be my business model. Right. Yeah. You know, after working in corporate for a number of years in, in many different companies, large, small, medium startups, you know, I really started to understand that I was acquiring the knowledge necessary to be able to affect many people, not just working in one organization, you know, impacting, you know, recruiters there as well as talent base. And I said, you know what, if I put together a solution based on my competency and my ability to deliver, I can really affect a lot of different companies, right? And a lot of different organizations, talent acquisition, HR and the like. So I said, you know what, when you start out, you know, you think about what is going to be your off ramp, right? What year is it going to be for you? Is it year five, 10, 15, 20? And, you know, I'm right at 22, 23 years. And I said, you know what, there's no better time than now uh, for you to really take a chance and say, I've learned as much as I can learn working for anyone else. Now it's time for me to really take my show on the road and help all these organizations and individuals really get great at being, you know, a, a talent acquisition function, being great corporate recruiting functions, and as well as being great recruiters. Because I work with a lot of independent recruiters as well that, you know, get frustrated at, you know, the, the process that it takes. But at the end of the day, it's about the customer service aspect. So for me, it was like, you know what, let's put this all together and really get my my foundation built. And it's always been about talent acquisition, but more importantly, how it's a science and an art. And really understanding it from that perspective is why I started JLW and wanted to really impact different variables. And as I said, I work with you know many different sizes. So my solution can be scalable, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. It's not just a one, you know, one fit all, one size fit all type deal, but I can def- definitely cater it to whatever uh, company that has a need. And that's what something I was excited about. So I decided to go ahead and separate from corporate. And in April of last year, I did it. And I tell you, best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, More importantly, from the discretionary time that it gives you to be able to understand how you can impact different markets. 
And um, I just thoroughly enjoyed the journey. And let's be clear, it's not been all roses, right? right. It's frustrating and you, you deal with many different variables. But the underlying theme was I own it, right? right? right. That I can make those decisions and I'm not under the um, you know, direction of someone else or a leader or another CEO or board or uh, equity firm or whomever. I can now set the tone for what I want my organization to be. So that was very, very, very um, you know, um, important to me and it resonated so well. You're listening to the StaffingStartup.tv podcast. For more info on today's show, be sure to check out the show notes at StaffingStartup.tv. So is this your first go round with starting a business? Uh, no, this is actually my second uh, run at it. In 2007 and 2008, I started a similar organization offering the same skills. It was called JLW Consulting Incorporated. Um, and at that time, uh, you know, the housing market burst and financial markets went crazy and no one was buying external services to support their organization because they were basically trying to survive. Right. They had to cut a lot of staff and, you know, they just didn't have the uh, the income or the revenue to support bringing in external resources. So I decided to go back to corporate in 2009, 2010 to be able to, you know, obviously sustain, but also get more knowledge and understanding of how things were going to be different. Because, again, when you have that type of um, unemployment rate has skyrocketed. You had a lot of talent in the market from many different industries. And it really had to reset, you know, uh, recruiting and staffing uh, to a point where you had all this talent now, but you didn't have a lot of companies that were buying the talent. So it kind of changed things for me, but I got to learn it and kind of let things level out over a couple of years. But going back to corporate gave me a different perspective because now my role in corporate changed quite a bit where I was, you know, a manager director level. I got an opportunity to uh, stand up total uh, talent acquisition organizations from inception, like build out processes and things of that nature. And then also went into executive leadership as a VP and a COO. Um, so I got to understand it from a deliverable and metrics and profit and you know what that all means to the staffing industry and why mm-hmm. companies buy and what are the mm-hmm. triggers that companies buy from organizations such as myself. So I learned some valuable information that helped me on the second go round go out and really be uh, you know stronger out the gate. Yeah, that's kind of when we met in that around that bubble Absolutely. time. Yes. And uh, we were both in our own separate businesses trying right. to figure this oh. thing out, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, yeah, we had a lot of late nights, the like trial case, like, do we do this? Proposals <laughs> and all types of stuff. I Man. talk about it all the time. Absolutely. But um, those are the things that I, I believe really give you that startup grit, right? Yes, indeed. Right. And um, that really kind of prepare you. And I was uh, interviewing a a um, angel investor a while back, and he said, "Listen, D, uh, when someone comes to me with an idea, he said if they haven't failed before, I don't care how great Absolutely. the idea is. I do not do business with them." Right. And I thought, "Wow, that's major." You know, so thank God for my failures. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Thank goodness for the failures, right? So it's really cool. And I, I really wanted to stress that because a lot of people think when you reach a level of success that you just woke up one night and, you know, it just happened. And it's like, no, there's a journey. There's something that you've gone through. Absolutely. You've experienced things good, bad, up, down, and indifferent right. in order for you to get to where you are now. So you've actually, you actually have that grit up under your belt and yes, that experience. That's awesome. 
So can you tell me, has there ever been a point in your journey? And I want you to be honest, where you felt like completely throwing in the towel, oh, just like, absolutely. and then how did you get through the moment? Like, I, but that's a two part question. Right. You, you know, so to answer your first part, absolutely. I mean, there's time. This is a frustrating grind. I mean, there's no doubt about it because it really tugs at the personal aspect of it because no one takes rejection easily, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes as leaders, as salespeople, we feel that someone saying no is saying no to us. And that's not normally the case. It's about saying no to the service at that time and the cost associated with that service. But we're humans, so we take it personally and it starts to eat at our confidence, starts to eat at our ego. It starts to make us feel like we're not capable. And yeah, I had those nights where I sat down and said, you know what, it's easier for me to go back to corporate. I could put my resume up on LinkedIn or Indeed and get interviews and get a job in the next couple of weeks. But that was the main reason why I started the company, so that I could make that separation and really could test my you know, intestinal fortitude and my staying power in regards to what I felt my competency was. So, yeah, there's many times where you just sit and you're like, you know what, this is too much. You know, I'm going weeks without a, a check. I'm going, you know, I'm having to leverage credit cards. I'm going to get personal loans. I'm trying to, you know, sustain my family. I'm doing a lot of things that are just hard when you have a dream that you have to invest in. So there were many nights where I was like, you know, I even had conversations with my wife about, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and get a job. But, you know, even to her credit, she was like, no, that's not what you wanted to do. You didn't start this to quit. Right. And if you are going to throw in the towel, you know, when things get tough, you know, the first time, then you never should have started it because you got to yeah. understand that anything that you do that's you know going to yield success is going to take some type of hit. It's going to take some type of emotional toil, or, you know, um, turmoil, and it's going to deal with your ability to um, weather the storm. And those storms get real rough. You know, it gets yeah. bad where, you know, you have to lean on. It. And we talked about you and I having conversations, you know, back in 2007, eight, where it was like, you know what? I need to just go back and get a job and I could just fold this up. And I tried and you start saying all those defeating type terms. But mm -hmm. if you really love it and you're really invested in it emotionally, financially, spiritually and everything else, then you figure out a way. You know, you pray if you're a praying person, you talk to your, your mentors and you talk to people who have been through it to yeah. give you that understanding that this is not, you know, a rosy situation where you just you know plant a seed and you get a forest full of trees. You're going to get some, you know, some things that just don't take shape. You're going to get some clients that say no. You're going to think you want a proposal and they say they're not buying right now. And yeah. you have to be willing to face each day with the same type of energy, the same smile, the yeah. same understanding that this day may produce the opportunity that's going to yield success. So you got to build that up in yourself and really encourage yourself to stay through those tough times. And when you get on the other side, I tell you, it's a different level of uh, happiness and success. Heck yeah. And, you know, I always talk about Steve Jobs. He, you know, he helped build Apple and then got fired <laughs> from his Absolutely. own company, right? Absolutely, his own company, that's right. You know, um, or Walt Disney. I think I read recently he went bankrupt twice. Right, right. You know, like twice. Absolutely. And, you know, so we wouldn't be able to enjoy the luxuries that we have today, you know, with the iPhone and iPad. I mean, everything in my life is I something, right? right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, or to be able to vacation in, in, you know, such a luxurious type of way right. through Disney with our families if those individuals didn't have the tenacity to continue to move even when everything was against them. Right. And so Absolutely. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because a lot of startups, 
they the moment that it gets rough, they're like, oh, I just can't do it. You know, and it's like, uh-uh, come on back, Absolutely. honey buddy. You gotta have that grit. You have you gotta have that grit. You right. gotta have that grit. Okay, cool. So what was your biggest learning lesson? Well, the, the learning lesson was, you know, the point that I made, you know, in regards to understanding that this is going to be a, a marathon and not a sprint. You know, nothing mm-hmm. is going to happen overnight, even if you have the biggest network. And I know a lot of people when I've helped mentor and lead a lot of people, that doesn't guarantee you success, that you're going to get opportunities from those relationships. And, you know, it's not going to guarantee you that your your firm is going to be successful uh, but what it does is it gives you the opportunity to keep pushing forward. So, yeah. you know, the lesson I learned is you have to level your emotions in this thing, right? You can't be mm-hmm. too high on the highs, you can't be low, too low on the lows. And you have to understand that you are, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, as an owner, you are the direct representation of your firm. And your mood sets the tone for how people perceive you, how customers yeah. perceive you, and how, you know, buyers are going to interact with you. Because if you're always negative or if you're complaining on, you know, Glassdoor or on LinkedIn, talk about how hard it is or that, you know, this industry is, you know, for the birds and this, that, and the other, that's going to resonate. But if you're on there like, you know what, today's a great day and I'm trying to find someone that I can impact and help out with my competency, you'll be surprised how many emails you get. You'll be surprised how many likes or, you know, comments you get of people giving you encouragement or connecting you to other folk. So you've got to understand that words are power. You have to understand that you are, you know, in control of your own destiny, destiny to a point by how you carry yourself with this and how you deal with those highs and lows. Yes, that that faith, I call it faith, right? Absolutely. Um, you, some people refer to it as law of attraction. Right. You know, it goes in so many different areas, but it is the core of who we are, yes, right? Indeed. It really and is. so I love that. For a couple of years now, I've been thinking about starting my own recruiting business, but wasn't really sure how. About six months ago, around one in the morning, I was playing around on YouTube and came across this very energetic lady named Dee Williams who shows professionals, just like me, how to start a recruiting and staffing business. I was blown away. I signed up immediately. Now, six months later, my business is up and running. I've made about $500,000 in revenue and still growing. Learn how you can get started, too, at staffingpreneursacademy.com. That's staffing, P-R-E, N-E-U-R-S Academy dot com. Wow. So, you know, we're cheering for you in every way, right? I appreciate right? <laughs> Thank you. As usual, I know things. you are. You already know that's yes, happening, indeed. right? <laughs> so, okay. So, so first of all, I have to say you're amazing, Thanks. right? And I'm sure everybody would agree he's amazing, right? The energy is just so positive. And to just be able to hear someone, you know, kind of go through a journey to get to where they are now, that's really awesome. So, I want to dive... Back into the business aspect, okay. because, you know, that's where I really get excited when right. we start talking about the nuts and the bolts. So the war on talent, the talent shortage, the skills gap. Real. These are conversations that are taking place in every boardroom across Absolutely. the globe. So, again, you already said it's real, but I was going to ask you, like, is this hype or is this something no. that experience, you know, that you've experienced to be true? And like, what's your take on it? Yeah, it's 100 percent true. And I tell you, you know, talent is not being developed at a, at a fast pace, right? So you have companies that are in the technology space where technology changes every moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, think about how many times you got a new version of your iPhone, 
from the original iPhone, right? Every six months, every seven yeah. months. Technology is changing that fast. And so the skills aren't being developed as fast enough, but the technology from a deliverable, especially to entities like the government and the commercial sector are trying to find all this talent and they're trying to find it, find it at an affordable price. So you have a, a talent pool that are the you know generation Xers that have 20, 25 years of experience who have an expectation of X dollars an hour or salaries that are astronomical, the companies can't pay it because they're under budget constraints. And then the millennials don't have the talent yet because they haven't been out in the workforce long enough to really get it to the point where they can make an impact for an organization. So that leads to frustration, right? So now you have the CEOs and the board and all the leaders in the company saying, what can we do to help that? So now you see things like the STEM programs coming online, right? Um, at even down to the K through 12 range where they're trying to teach kids about science, technology, engineering, and math to get them ready for the next 10, 15 years where it's even going to be crazier, right? So yeah, that talent know. gap and, and talent development is extremely real. It's, uh, it's frustrating, but there's, you know, I'm optimistic that we're starting to bridge the gap with things like certifications, right? Even when, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, D, we never thought about cybersecurity. We right. never thought about having to secure data to the level where information is residing on the cloud or yeah. our bank cards. You know, we used to write checks to go and buy groceries, right? We didn't yeah. have the bank card technology yet, or it was cash. So now you're right. having to secure data and think about all the breaches that we heard in the last, you know, couple of years from Target to the uh, DSS and, uh, you know, yeah. the clearance information getting compromised. So there's so much, there's a big need that's, you know, at, an alarming pace, and we just don't have the talent trained to the point where they can fill that skills gap. And then the budgets come into play. So it's absolutely real. And I've been part of some very high-level discussions uh, as an executive where we, we've thought of many different things. We thought about bringing in training courses directly to impact and train up our workforce, our current workforce that are on programs, to try to lead them to different areas within the organization. That takes time, though. And we don't yeah. have a lot of time because the work needs to be done. And so, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I see in, in the cybersecurity space, a lot of executives that I have talked to have said, well, you know, can you can you bring people in from other industries who may have a specific skill set, like in mathematics or whatever the case may be and, and, you know, bring them into the cybersecurity space? And I'm like, of course we can do that, but are you guys ready to to train? Are you ready to to put that in your budget? So do you find that a lot of companies have the budget for talent development? That, no, they don't. It's not a, a budget line item as a proactive measure. It's a budget line item as a reactive measure. And mm -hmm. usually it's in the middle of the year or towards the end of the year, the third quarter, where they need to meet plan or they need to meet revenue and profit goals. And by then it's too late. And, mm -hmm. and also you got to think about with that talent development piece, um, you know, when they say, are you ready? Can you really make an impact? And do you have the staff that's capable of training that talent force? And then if you get them engaged, when you talk about going to commercial and bringing in that talent, and if you're a government entity, now you got the clearance process. Right. If you need to get somebody clear to a TS level that may take you a year, year and a half just because of the backlog that's in DSS. 
So you mm-hmm. can't really make an impact by going outside and maybe getting labeled that labor that's more affordable um, to come in because it takes time to get them to be able to go on a program and make impact with your customer. Then you look at a whole different market that they can't even touch, right? The uh, H-1B visa, because you need to be a U.S. citizen in order to work on these programs. So where you may have a lot of talent that you can uh, get from you know, uh, different countries and things of that nature, you can't bring them in on your systems because you need to have them cleared as a U.S. citizen. So that puts right. another barrier. So there's so many things that are hindrance. And what companies are trying to do is figure out, okay, can I you know, build these hybrid organizations, right? Work with a small organization that I bring on as a partner that may have 50 or 75 people that I can now just bring under my umbrella and impact talent development that way. Yeah, that works. But again, you still have a skills gap because these people aren't trained specifically to what your mission is. They're trained right. to what they're doing on individual programs. So absolutely, it's it's a real problem. It's going to be a continuing problem with talent development and talent um, management because you're not able to find the talent fast enough that can make an impact on your business today. So it's always going to be a lag there. And that that is a, is a problem. And it's really no you know main solution that can address it. Because it all depends on folks wanting to go into those industries like cybersecurity or Java development or networking and things of that nature. And the talent just is not developing that fast. It really is. So what do you think about the fact that there are like, I was on a plane like a year ago, a year or so ago, and this guy says, now I'm telling you, I'm always on a plane and somebody starts talking to me about recruitment and staffing as if they can just feel the energy coming from me, right? Right. And so he's like, what do you do? I tell him what I do. And he's like, oh my gosh, because this is what I do. So secretly he was creating a technology to eliminate recruiters, Mm. right? To eliminate the third party agencies and give the power back to the people so that they can apply directly to the hiring managers and the hiring managers can apply directly to them. I also have heard a number of companies say that we're investing in um, recruitment training and development so that we don't have to outsource to, you know, third-party entities. Like, what are your thoughts about that? And do you feel like, you know, that is, you know, an intelligent decision to make as as an executive in a company? Um, So to answer that question, no. You will always need the human touch when you're dealing with humans, right? We're not placing, we're not developing widgets and we're not, you know, placing robots who don't have any feelings, emotions, or anything. And it, even though you want to get the power back to the people, what happens is when you do that, everyone feels that they're qualified for every job. How many mm-hmm. times have you seen one person apply to 30 different jobs on a job board because they feel they have you know, one of the skill sets that is asking for? That will put enormous pressure on a project manager who has to deliver on a project, satisfy a customer, uh, run operations, manage a staff to now have to look through 300 or 400 resumes of which, you know, 350 of them are unqualified and they have to disposition all those candidates. So you need recruiters, but you need recruiters who understand and respect recruiting from a deliverable standpoint. You and I are old school recruiters. We understand that we need to talk to people on the phone. Uh, I work with recruiters who will send out just a screening form to someone and say, hey, fill this out and send it back to me when you're done. I cringe at that. You know, that is... (laughs) 
you know, that's a, that's extremely disrespectful to me because you're not even respecting the person's time um, and not willing to have a 15 minute discussion about his or her skill set and how they can be, you know, an asset to your organization. Um, so you, you can't eliminate recruiters altogether. Yeah, there's something that technology can help with. Um, you know, they're screening forms on applicant tracking systems where they have the knockout questions where they ask you, do you have a clearance or, you know, um, do you have this particular technology? Yes, those are helpful. But when you get down to that person being somewhat qualified, you should have a recruiter reach out to them for a couple of reasons. One, candidate experience. There's nothing more frustrating for a candidate to submit a resume into an applicant tracking system and never hear from anyone. You know, right. and then what that does is they go on Glassdoor, they talk to their peers, and now your company becomes the company that's a waste of time and you haven't no you have no idea why. The StaffingStartup.tv podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before you make any decision based on anything in our podcast. Visit StaffingStartup.tv to learn more about how we're regulated or access our terms and conditions. You know, but um, I don't know if you want to go back in and, and chime back in when you were right. talking about the brand. Yeah. So from the brand perspective, you know, having that recruiter or that human touch is important. Right. Because, you know, as a representation of your company, if you are doing, you know, just electronic marketing or you're just sending out forms and having people respond back in, you lose the opportunity to put a personality to your organization, you know, to have a culture of your organization that resonates with candidates. If they just feel that you're a conveyor belt of talent, you know, one, you're going to have high attrition rates because you don't even have a chance. You know, the candidate doesn't have a chance to ask the important question. What is your organization about? What are you, what are your mission, vision and values? You know, what are you doing as the social aspect? How do you feel about this initiative? They don't have that opportunity. So they get in and they see, man, this is just, you know, they're just putting butts in seats. And now they're looking to get with an organization that has some feeling behind it. And you will start seeing people walk out the door. So that brand mm. initiative with having a recruiter is extremely important. Yeah. Awesome advice. Awesome. Well, you know, I am so humbled that you took the time out of your day to hang out with us here, to inspire and to motivate and to just share your story. Where can, first, so first of all, before I even say where, first of all, I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I really appreciate you so much. I'm thank glad you to so be here. Much. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to an old friend and share whatever knowledge I could. Naturally. Thank you. And uh, hold on, not old now. Look at me. Oh. Look, look at this. <laughs> I meant that, not in a literal term. That's figuratively speaking. You're a young lady. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You know, I have to, you know, stroke my ego a little bit. Uh, where can our audience find you online and offline? So my email address is Jermaine at JLWConsultingLLC.com. Our website is www.JLWConsultingLLC.com. I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Jermaine Williamson. And my uh, Instagram is JLWConsultingLLC. And I have a Facebook page that's JLWConsultingLLC as well. So any of those places you can find information about us. You can also see some of the quotes and motivation that I put out there for, you know, anyone, but more importantly, talking about the staffing industry and talking about some of the things that companies should be aware of, like retaining talent and all those things. So any of those, and I'm glad to talk to anyone who, you know, is starting in the business, any of your uh, prospects and some of your clients that, you know, just want to hear, you know, some of the good stories, some of the horror stories, some of the challenges, and also mm -hmm. be a resource that they can reach out to when they're thinking about throwing in the towel and telling them why 
is not a great thing to do. And if you stay a little bit longer, you may be able to see the success you've been uh, you've been waiting for. What's your phone number? It's 571-643-2255. That's my phone number. Yes, you can reach yes, you got to get time. a phone number. Yeah, definitely. Listen, Jermaine, you have been amazing. We really, really appreciate you and your energy so much. I'm sure you're going to come back on Absolutely. the show. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. All right, awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Well. Jermaine Williamson, JLW Consulting. Love you so much. You, you have an amazing Likewise. day. Thank you. you All right. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the StaffingStartup.tv podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like more information on any of our stories or would like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at StaffingStartup.tv. TV. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and please leave a five-star rating and a super awesome review so others can enjoy the show too. Check out the live video footage on YouTube. Have a great week and we'll see you next episode.